We are Chris and Beth Bruno, and this is the Walking With Podcast. God called you to walk with people. He called us to help you. Join us for a conversation at the intersection of theology, psychology, and ministry. Each week, our goal is to replace a little bit of your overwhelm with more confidence in caring for the people you walk with. We are starting a new series and one that really has been on the top of our list from the very beginning because it's the thing that I think we are most frequently asked about and we have just in some ways put it off, (laughs) avoided it, (laughs) but also just know that it's it's delicate and it's tough Mm -hmm. and it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And it's everywhere. And and so our new series, da-da-da-da, is Rewire How Sexual Addiction is Not About Sex. Mm-hmm. And Chris, it's just, you know, it's one of those things. I, I just wrapped up a, kind of a decade of being heavily involved in the anti-sex trafficking movement here locally and needed to step away and give myself space. Um, just couldn't handle much more of the the darkness Mm -hmm. of that world and that industry. And so it's been some some time. I've had some of that distance. I'm eager to re-engage it in some ways. And we always talked about how the sex industry fuels sex trafficking and that porn is the gateway into the sex industry. Mm -hmm. It creates a demand Mm -hmm. that traffickers fill. Mm-hmm. And it is intimately linked and on the continuum and in many ways is involved in trafficking. Many of the subjects of porn are being trafficked. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's all connected is my point. So it's not unfamiliar to me. And yet I, I am not in the therapy room mm-hmm. walking alongside of individuals who are struggling with an addiction that that is a sexual addiction and yet we're saying it's not about sex and Mm -hmm. and we know that it's about their own story that began Mm -hmm. long ago they didn't wake up you know yesterday and and say today's the day i'm going to go purchase sex Um, so it's such a big topic and we're going to spend the next three weeks really Mm -hmm. diving into it and breaking it breaking it down and let's start with this week talking about what is this problem why why is it everywhere? Why is it so enormous? Why are the numbers so astounding in general? And now in light of just the season that we're in globally with our pandemic, it's even more. Yeah. It's even, it's grown. Mm-hmm. Why? What is going on? Yeah. Well, I want to begin by talking about the, the problem coming from two different perspectives. One is a spiritual perspective, and one is a societal or cultural perspective on where this problem comes from. So I believe that, uh, that as we see in Genesis, the, the creation of male and female is where the image of God resides. 
And in that, uh, we can unpack the, the poetry of Genesis there to really see that it is the glory of God in who he is and how he has written himself into, into him and how he has written himself into her. And that sexuality from the very beginning is a place that, um, that is both extremely glorious and extremely targeted. Because if the enemy can target the sexuality of Adam and Eve, then he comes to the very place where the glory of God is written into her and written into him, and it affects them both significantly. And it destroys that glory of God in some ways that, that completely hijacks it and, and pulls it away from what God's originally, original intent was for it. So I want to I start, and I can certainly say far more about that, but I want to start from the spiritual perspective that no wonder if it is such a high-value target that it is going to be such a, uh, an, an incredible problem societally. So I, uh, I'll come to then society here, and that is that pornography has always been part of societies. I mean, we can look back at um, hieroglyphics and and books and uh, all kinds of things that pornography and and the exploitation of sex and sexuality has has been part of humankind since Adam and Eve, right? And but what has happened for us in the last fifty hundred years is this explosion of access and explosion of normalcy with regard to uh, pornographic uh, content. And that access, I think we can, I, I'm not blaming the, the smartphones, I'm not blaming the internet or anything, it's just a tool that has been used for that spiritual reason to steal, kill, and destroy that which God has created. And so our access has just gone uh, crazy in the last several decades, which makes it even more of, uh, more of a problem. Now, uh, the problem itself is not the access. The problem itself is not the pictures. The problem, I believe, is that as a society that has access to this sexual content, at the same time, we have not been attending to the emotional health of ourselves or our children. And that because we've not been attending to their emotional health and, and having a sense of like what to do with hard feelings or what to do with um, sadness or what to do with anger, that this very easy outlet that is now found in all of our pockets in the smartphone is a way for us to quote unquote deal with those distressing emotions that we don't have other places to go to or go with. Uh, and so it, it's just overwhelmingly become a place for us to manage our distressing emotions. And the target is has been as you talked about you know trafficking uh, the target is both men and women and uh, historically pornography has been far more used by men though we're seeing an incredible increase of uh, girls and women using or viewing pornography as well because I think it's just becoming so deeply woven into the fabric of our society that it's just plain normal. Let's talk a little bit about what some of the, the concerns are. Why is this concerning? I mean, there's a large and growing louder voice that says this should be fine. This should be people's freedom to choose to explore sexuality in whatever way they want to, the sex positive movement. Um, but then there's, you know, obviously a whole other side that has mm -hmm. 
huge concerns over what this is doing to our society, what this is doing to relationships, what this is doing to the brain development of young boys and girls. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so you talk about brain development. I think a great analogy is, especially as we're in the middle of this COVID pandemic, and uh, many of us are looking at screens far more often. I myself have had to get glasses in order to look at the screen. And um, that's kind of a just normal thing, right? I'm looking at the screen and I'm getting glasses because I need to focus or the blue light of the screen is affecting my eyes. Well, we have to also consider that over the course of the last several months, as I've increased the exposure of my eyes to the blue screen and how that's having a physical impact on my body, we need to also recognize that this overwhelming access and use of pornography, like it also has physical implications to our minds, our souls, and our bodies. And um, one, one classic and uh, example of that is, uh, is actually sexual in nature, that men in their 20s and 30s these days, the last you know two, three, four years, have uh, an overwhelming number of cases of erectile dysfunction uh, more than ever before. Guys in their 20s, when they should be at their kind of sexual peak, uh, they're having erectile dysfunction problems, and that's a physical impact of their so regular engagement with pornography. Now I can make those connections even deeper, but that's that's just a great kind of example. But it's also we just don't know. We just don't know how much the the brain is being impacted. We don't know how much the soul is being impacted because this has never happened before. We can't. Uh, we're starting to map some of that. We're starting to to actually do some neurological scans and and see some of the shifts of of how our brains are developing, or whatever. But this is really kind of the the first and second generation to experience pornography at this level, uh, and um, both kind of exposure with the screen as well as the quantity that is now available as well as then uh, the kind of pornography that is available. So 50 years ago, if somebody wanted to access pornography, they would need to go to the gas station and buy a magazine that had some pictures, some still pictures. And in those pictures, you know, as vulgar as they might have been, they're not uh, necessarily showing the level of violence uh, and uh, oppression and objectification and all that, that now is, as I said before, so readily accessible. And so the violent pornography that is accessible now is also having a significant impact on the way that we're viewing one another and the way that we're viewing relationships, the kind of expectations that we walk into uh, a relationship with and even a marriage with of what sex is going to be like. It's all formed now in this virtual space that was never before uh, possible. I think about the porn industry and how its aim is at children ages 8 to 11. Yeah. And, you know, their brain is just developing. Well, they haven't hit puberty yet. Right. Have not even hit puberty. And you said at the beginning that it is often uh, starts with a way to emotionally regulate, to, yeah. to take care of feelings that they otherwise don't know what to do with. So you take that and you meld it with a developing brain and body that's not even entered into a, a sexual stage of life, like what does that do to a person's understanding of their own body and arousal and connection and attraction? Like what is mm -hmm. happening there? Well, there's something called an arousal template. And that is, uh, 
kind of a, a patternistic way of thinking about how you as a person experience some kind of sexual arousal. And uh, there's we, we find our ways into doing that with one another uh, in marriage. And uh, But what happens with a child, like you said, 8 to 11 years old, is that when the arousal template is set at that early of an age, it is very, very difficult for that boy or girl to move away into any other kind of sexual engagement. And so now anytime that they want some, uh, either some kind of arousal or uh, sexual experience or an emotional experience, that's the template that they go back to. And so when we have a you know, an eight-year-old who's exposed to pornography, especially the kind of violent and whatever pornography that is now available, right? He or she doesn't have the the capacity to digest the experience of what they're seeing. They don't even know what those body parts are. They now associate sexuality with violence or or diminishment or objectification or whatever, or full-on, it's all about my pleasure kind of idea. And, and they, they can't even process what that is. And so now, years later, you know, 20, 30, 40 years later, they're, they're unable to actually engage in, in a, a wholesome, healthy sexual relationship. What's happening at the same time is that, you know, an eight-year-old might be growing up in a home that is... Uh, you know, there might be, it might be loud. It might be a lot of yelling. It might be, you know, some anger, or it might be completely emotionally vacuous, right? Where we don't talk about emotions and there's a lot of distance or whatever. Well, that eight-year-old stumbles upon sexual things, which naturally is going to cause some curiosity and some interest and some excitement or whatever. And so they'll go back to that. And it originally doesn't start as an addiction. It just starts as a curiosity. And it starts as a body response to the normal flesh uh, of uh, of our beings. Now, all of a sudden, when dad yells, or no one's at home, whichever the emotional state is, now it's like, well, I've got nothing else to do, or that felt good when I went and saw that pornography before, I'll go back there again. And then another thing happens, and I'll go back there again. And then another thing happens, I'll go back there again, and all of a sudden we have an addiction. We have some place that we're going to deal with the emotions that it was not, you know, the child didn't really think about it in that way from the beginning, but that's the kind of path to starting an addiction. Mm -hmm. That's how those pathways form. That's how those pathways form. And that's how evil works is then putting that just right in front of him or her over and over and over again. Right. Just easily accessible. Totally. How about let's talk a little bit about the societal concern. I mean, we talked about maybe some of the individual ramifications of what that does to to a person and to his or her relationships. What happens on a greater scale to society when we've got such an incredible pornography addiction? Well, um, the the sexualization of our culture actually creates for us, uh, especially for when we have so many people that have either been exposed to pornography or, pornography or regularly use it, now uh, the sexualization of our culture becomes something that is just out there all the time. Here's what I mean is that, for example, a, a guy will go to the grocery store and he's just going to go buy, you know, some avocados and some apples and a steak. Okay, he's just going to for a normal grocery run, but then all of a sudden, because of the sexualization of his brain and the sexualization of the the cultural culture at large, now there's a little bit more of a tension that happens when he's engaging with the checkout person. 
right? And there's this, uh, some wonderings that might happen in his mind because he has a pornographically driven and formed mind that now he's actually engaging with her, the checkout lady, in a different way. Even if he doesn't do anything externally, there's an internal shift that has happened for him. He's starting to wonder, oh, what would it be like to be with her? And wonder what she looks like. And um, is, you know, wonder if she's engaged with anybody or, you know, partnered up at all. So in his mind is always the sexualized engagement with people. And then uh, I think it just opens up a whole bunch of other things with like, you know, going to parties and going to, uh, to, to hang out with friends and the expectations of what friends do and what parties do and just the openness of sexuality that really is designed for uh, this intimate space of an engagement of expression of love rather than an event. And I talk about that a lot with my clients, like um, sex is meant to be an expression, an expression of vulnerability, an expression of intimacy, an expression of love and closeness on that emotional level. It's a physical representation of the emotional experience. But what happens is in this societal sense is that sex has become an event. It's a hookup culture. It is now just something that we do, and it's pornography is just something that we do, and masturbation is just something that happens. Like it's all those things that are just out there and normalized, and it reduces what sexuality was actually designed to be. So societally, we've come to kind of accept that, and our so many of the the human brains around us have been formed by it that we're not even like aware of how sexualized we've become because we're just all swimming in the same water. So for those that are walking with others who have either uh, confessed that they have a struggle with some kind of sexual addiction uh, or that you're suspicious that there might be something going on, I think the most important thing for us to remember is that it's not uh, our biggest concern is not about the behavior, though we do want to help people slow down or stop the behavior, right? Because that only continues to perpetuate the cycle. The thing that we want to make sure that we're doing is to connect to the person and offer ourselves to come alongside of being with the person in the actual emotions that are driving the addiction in the first place. So when we see people who are lonely, we want to come into that alone, you know, that place of loneliness. We want to help people come into understanding what, how do I manage my anger, right? And they might be talking about pornography or they might be talking about their sexual addiction. Uh, and I just want to encourage people that we're, when we're walking with someone like that, that is important, but there's always something behind it. And I think the best uh, ministers, pastors, counselors are always going after what's behind it. And far too often, I think we get you know, sidetracked into behavior management and getting them to stop the behavior that we forget the person behind the behavior. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to dive into kind of your approach yeah. to, to handling this with your clients. I think it'll be incredibly valuable to those who, who are walking with others or themselves considering where they're at in all of this. In week three, we're going to dive into really how you can more specifically walk alongside of individuals, whether it's kids, whether it's college students, whether it's people in your church. We have put together like all of your knowledge, all of what you have been doing with clients for years in a course called Rewire. And this is a self paced, uh, lifetime access kind of a course designed kind of as an on-ramp for your clients to do some pre-work prior to diving into the deep 
story work that you'll do with them individually. Mm -hmm. This is almost a four sessions of counseling that, that they can go through before they meet with you face to face. And we put all of that together in videos and guides and worksheets for individuals struggling with a pornography addiction. We want to make that available to you, our listeners, right now. Um, you can find out more at RestoryLabs.com forward slash rewire. And what's kind of being developed right now is a leader's guide. And so when you purchase that course, though it's designed for an individual who is struggling, you will receive the leader's guide uh, when that's completed later this summer. So go to RestoryLabs.com forward slash rest wire to learn more and we will be back same time same place next week diving into um, chris's approach to to really getting beneath the surface and looking beyond just the behavior 